0: Hey, good morning, City Light. So good to be here. My name's Glenn. I am one of the pastors here, and um, I am coming to you this morning probably the most uh, physically and emotionally exhausted that I have been in the pulpit on a Sunday. This last uh, week, about a week ago, my cousin Rachel, her husband Justin, 38 years old, father of four, two of which are adopted, uh, got in an ATV accident and passed away. And so not to start the time together on a really, really sad and somber note, but I found myself on Friday driving down to Kansas City International Airport and picking my older brother Aaron up and going and spending the whole weekend with my extended family. Uh, Rachel is dear to me. Uh, Our family is is close uh, from a distance, and um, I tell you what, there is something to be said about being at a church where a funeral is happening, and it is as tragic as tragic can get, and people are singing and clapping and lifting their hands in worship, and saying, Jesus, we love you. We don't grieve and mourn like the world that is without hope. Um, It was an unforgettable experience to be there. My cousin, who is now a widow, stood up to speak, and I've never seen such poise. I've never seen um, a wife who is in the midst of that kind of grief expressed that kind of confidence in God. The whole family was celebrating. Justin was his name, his life, his legacy. Um, I couldn't help but think about his story. He was a guy who lived a very, very rough life before he ever met Rachel. Um, He abused alcohol. He was... um, very promiscuous and um, just gave his life away to things that had nothing to do with God and his kingdom. And it ended him in a jail cell at one point. And in that jail cell, he came to know the love of Jesus. And it flipped his life right side up. And he ended up being a husband and a father that was faithful, prayerful, passionate, Zealous, He was an evangelist in his workplace. He couldn't imagine that the same love that he encountered could not be something that he would tell other people about. Um, So my goodness, I'm I'm coming in this morning (laughs) with the least prepared sermon that I've had in our church. And I'm also just tired. Um, But I take so much solace in the fact that God's word never returns boy. I could literally just stand here and read our passage out loud and close it in prayer. And the Holy Spirit is going to sow seeds in this room. The Holy Spirit is going to move and work in personal, patient, powerful ways with everyone in this room. And so I want to open our time praying just that. And then I want to jump in to talk about how God's love makes us strong. Let me pray. Jesus, we are asking for your increase and our decrease this morning. Jesus, we are asking for your love to pervade our hearts this morning. We are asking that we would, together, as one, come to a greater understanding, a greater comprehending, a greater grasping of the love that you have for us. Amen. I want you to open to Ephesians chapter three. We have been in this letter from the apostle Paul to this church in Ephesus. And Paul is a church planter. He really loves this church. Paul came uh, as a missionary and he raised up disciples. He preached the gospel. He established leaders in this church. And he was there for about two and a half to three years. These people are like family to him, but he writes this letter now in chains, house arrest in Rome. He's writing back to this church, and the reason I love this book in the Bible is because it's so clean. The first three chapters, we've said this many times, just declare over and over again some of the most powerful words you will find in all of the Bible, who you are in Christ. When you place your faith in Jesus, it actually recreates you. It makes you into someone new, and it makes us all into something new, the church. And the whole first three chapters are about that, and we're coming to the end of that, and Paul now is going to stop and he's going to pray. And the thing he's going to pray for is exactly what my cousin Rachel had over this weekend, and it was spiritual strength. And so I want you to jump in with me, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You think I'm going to go on, I'm going to stop already right there. Okay, for this reason, I'm bowing and praying. Church, can I just ask, any good reader would read this and say, what is that reason? Why is Paul stopping and praying? I want you to know the reason is God is writing a cosmic story in our world and in our church and in each of us. It is a story that has been planned from before the foundation of the world. It's the story of his salvation of all people. It's the story of God calling people from every tribe, nation, and tongue to repent of sin and trust in Jesus and to have new life in Him. To be honest, we planted this church because we are right in the middle of that story. It's a story that gives meaning and purpose to our lives. It's a story that describes a battle between good and evil where good wins. It's a story that explains all the pain and the confusion and the depression and the addiction that is all around us, and it's the story of a God who loves. It's a God who has a plan to bring sinful people back to himself, to bring people from all over the globe into his story, where he's forgiving, he's restoring, he's healing what is broken. He is recreating and bringing new life to what is dead. It's the story of God bringing heaven on a collision course to earth. Can you just think about that? It's a story that answers our prayer. God, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a story of Jesus saving sinners. I think city like Paul would want us to realize the magnitude, the gravity, and the weight of this amazing story that we, you, and me find ourselves in today. I think he would want us to understand the significance the eternal weight of the mission that our church shares in multiplying disciples of Jesus. Do you feel like your life in any way, shape or form is boring? It's not supposed to be. Do you feel like in any way you're just stuck right now? You're tired, (laughs) you're exhausted. It feels ho-hum, it feels like you're running on the same hamster wheel, the same, that's not how God designed our life to be lived. And that is not the kind of life that Jesus brings to us. He is inviting you into a greater vision for your life. He's inviting you and me into a greater story than just our little story in our life. So I think by saying I'm praying for you, Paul is acknowledging you can't live this story by yourself. You are going to need help because you are weak. You are going to need power because you lack power. Here's the reality of the churches in Ephesus. I just want to bring us into the context of this. No one was applauding their faith in Jesus. Nobody was saying, good for you, pat on the back, you're so important to our community and our city here in Ephesus. They had a different sexual ethic, they wanted to give uh, their one earthly life to a much greater thing. They believed in the concept of idolatry, that we can worship always and we're always worshiping someone or something and that God wants to free us from worshiping idols to worship Him to be restored to him alone being on the throne of our lives. They were fighting an uphill battle against the spiritual enemy who loved what was happening in the rest of the city where there was godlessness but hated what was happening in the community of Christ in the church. They needed strength. They needed help. They needed power. They needed something beyond themselves if God was gonna write this story through their church. And can I just say, City Light, it's the exact same with us. We need this prayer. And so, what Paul begins to pray is in verse 16. He says, That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your, don't forget this, inner being. Some of y'all woke up this morning and you stood out of bed, and that was enough for you to say, I'm ready to get back into bed. Your outer being is wasting away, you're tired. Some of you, you're right now sitting in your chair already since I've started. You've taken a deep breath and you slipped the disc. And you're like, how did that happen? I don't know when that started happening in my life. And so I, I, I want you to understand that we, we are spending our entire lives as Americans trying to upkeep our outer being. And Paul says your outer being is, is slowly wasting away, but as a Christian, your inner being is being renewed day by day. And he continues right here, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you might be rooted and grounded in love. There's an old story um, that I used to uh, read and talk to college students about all the time. Uh, I forget the author's name, but he wrote a little book. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. Has anyone, anyone heard of that? Any hands in the room, a few people? My Heart, Christ's Home. This is the... Um, story of a, a guy who pictures Jesus coming to dwell in a person's heart. Like when we think about that concept, Jesus, i give you permission, come dwell in my heart. Like, what do we think of? What comes to mind? How do we envision the work that he actually does in us? And I want you to know that dwell in the original language, it really, it means not just to have his power uh, not just even to have his presence. It's actually way more than that. It's Jesus making himself very comfortable and very at home within us. Yeah. Have you thought about that? How comfortable and at home is the living Savior within you, in your inner being, in your heart? He describes the proverbial study, the library. It's the information center of the house. He says, Jesus, come on into the house. Um, here, here's everything I take in. This is what I read. This is what I consume. Here's all the magazines and Here's the desktop for the internet and all the news and this is what occupies the imagination and the thoughts of the mind and Jesus steps in and he begins to toss out, I mean, just clean house. He begins to get rid of anything that isn't helpful, pure, good, and true. He begins to line the shelves with precious scripture, the promises of God. He begins to plaster all over the walls of the house images and pictures of his compassion, his cross. His cross his resurrection, his power when he comes again and he creates a new heaven, a new earth. And then this man takes Jesus into his dining room and it's the room in the house where there are appetites and desires. And he says, Jesus, I really think you're gonna like what I serve up here. And Jesus is not super impressed. <laughs> um, he says, as you serve up the things that you're chasing and, and dreaming about, I want you to know, brother and sister, I have food to eat that you, not, you don't know of. Um, If you want food that really satisfies, I want to show you how to pursue the will of God in your life. I am the bread of life, and I am the well, the water source that never runs dry. If you want satisfaction in your life, anybody want satisfaction in their life? If you want Thanksgiving in your life, if you want contentment, who is literally chasing contentment right now in their life in this room, and you would have the guts to admit that? If you want happiness and joy and peace, feast on all that I am feast on all that I've done and feast on all that I have promised to do in the future I want to change and uproot your desires and your appetites and I want to align them with my kingdom and then he says I take Jesus into the living room and it's a comfortable room it's a room with a fireplace and a perfect atmosphere for conversation and Jesus says hey let's come here often Um, it's secluded, it's away from the noise of life. Is your life really, really noisy? (laughs) Jesus says, we can talk here. Do you know what I can do? In this room, in your heart, this living room, I can unfold to you all the wonder of God's truth. I can show you from every text of scripture, me. I can point you to a love and a grace that you still think you know, but you don't know yet. It's a love and a grace that I have personally toward you. These will be the best times that we share in this living room. Let's meet here every morning, early. Let's start the day together like this. But then the man recounts that over time, that's not a priority anymore. The responsibilities and the busyness of life and everything that's occupying his mind, all the pressure he feels at work, the time continues to get shortened and shortened, and then eventually it's absent. And I love this moment in the book. One day he is rushing out of the home and he passes by the living room and the door is open and sitting by the fire is Jesus. The man sees him and feels bad and downcast. He walks in and says, Master, forgive me. Have you been here all these mornings? And Jesus says, yes. I told you that I would be here every morning to meet with you, but remember, church, don't miss this. I love you. I have redeemed you at great cost. I so value your fellowship. I treasure you. You are my treasured possession. I gave my life and my blood for you. Even if you can't keep this time for your own sake, keep it for mine. Come and spend time with me. I want to be your truest friend. And then upstairs, there is a whole closet. It's small, but there's a lock on it. And the man knows that inside that closet is a place of hidden shame and sin. There's actually an odor that's coming out of that closet. There were personal things that are dead and rotting inside. There was no life to them. They were stored in that closet of the heart before Jesus ever came to live and dwell. Jesus is standing there looking at the closet and um, the author responds that Jesus, you're going to have to open this and clean it out because I can't Do it. I don't have the strength or the courage to be done with these things. And Jesus says, just give me the key. Authorize me. Give it up to me. (laughs) Relinquish it to me. And the author reflects, oh, what victory and release to have that dead thing. Out of my life. Gone. Some of us are carrying things right now that are dead. They're rotting. They're from before we knew Jesus. They're from our old person, who we used to be. Jesus wants to occupy and clean and bring newness to that small hallway closet. And finally, the author says, Jesus, is there any chance that you could take over management of the house? Can you just operate the whole thing for me? Clean it, make it new like you did that closet. I don't want to be the guest. I don't want you to be the guest and me to be the host anymore. Jesus, I want you to be the master of the house and I want to be the servant and the friend. Church, this is what it means for Christ to dwell in our heart city light. This is a picture of Christ making his home and his residence in us. Theologian Harry Ironside wrote, the secret of holiness, secret of the Christian life is heart occupation with Jesus. As we gaze upon him, we become like him. Do you wanna become like Jesus? Did you know he was awesome? You wanna become like him? Let the loveliness of the risen Lord so fill the vision. Of your soul. That everything else gets shut out. Then the things of the flesh will shrivel up and disappear. And the things of the spirit will become supreme in your life. This is the only way whereby we may be delivered from the power of the flesh. And the principles of the world. You ever sit and wonder. God if if I could just live my life a simple way for you. Could you just show me. Jesus has an answer for you. One time a person asked him and said. Teacher what is the greatest commandment. Jesus gave the answer in Matthew 22. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So church, I just wanna ask this question first this morning. Is Jesus dwelling more and more in every part of your heart? Are you letting him make himself at home? And the thing I love about the Holy Spirit is I don't have to push it any further than that. personal ways everyone in the room right now if fully present and listening to my voice within the sound of my voice there are things that God is beginning to press on you right now where Jesus has not yet been given permission to be Lord Jesus has not yet been given permission to come in and demonstrate his love to you you know I think we think the Christian life quite often is all the things that we need to do for God all the ways that we need to increasingly be obedient to him all the ways we need to bow down and, and while that's True, to an extent, I think Jesus is saying to each of us, would you let me love you? You hear the Mario song? You shouldn't let me love <laughs> you. Let me love you, Jesus says. So, thank you, Roy, I knew you would. Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse 17, says that Christ may dwell in your hearts, and then he continues that he may, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Oh, church. Richard Koken is a a commentator, an author, a theologian, and he describes the dimensions right here that are in uh, this, describing the love of Christ. He says that the love of Christ is wide. It illustrates his accepting love. Friend, did you know that anyone from any background that has any past can come to God for mercy, and he will give it? Did you know that any person can... Come to us, come to God from any background, and, and, and if they feel like they're um, beyond the reach of God's love, God's love can reach them. It is a wide love, it is an accepting love. There are people whose background they feel is too immoral or too poor or too privileged or too idolatrous or too dysfunctional for them to be genuinely loved by Jesus. And Jesus says, Come. My love is wide. If you are trusting in Christ, there is nothing that you have done or could ever do that would put you outside Jesus' embrace. Do you know and recognize that kind of love from God to you through Christ? Oh, Jesus, help us see how wide your love is. The author says it's long. His love has length. It's lasting love. Perhaps some of us have been uh, painfully abandoned by someone in our life. There are people in our family, significant others, friends who have said, I love you, but have not actually turned around to demonstrate that. You have felt the pain of a lack of love from people who've said, I love you. That is not so with Jesus. Jesus' love is a permanent love. Jesus' love is an ongoing, everlasting, eternal love. When your faith is in him, you cannot be snatched out of his hand. He says that you would know the length of Jesus' love. However badly and however often we disappoint him, he will never let us go. He has committed himself from eternity past to eternity everlasting to love us and never, ever, ever give up on us. When we sing, God, thank you for never giving up on me. That's a a biblical lyric. Have you given thanks to God recently for never giving up on you? Have you thanked Jesus for his long-lasting love? Oh, Jesus, help us see the length of your love. He goes on, he says, Jesus' love, oh, the height of it. It's illustrating an an exalting love, a love that doesn't just keep us from sinking down, church, into, into a life that's like hell, but it's a love that pulls us up. It's an exalting love. It's a love that pulls us heavenward. It's a love that seats us at the right hand of Jesus. It's a love that puts us in heaven now. It's a love that says eternal life is not something that begins when you die. It's a, it begins the day you place your faith in Jesus. That every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is yours in Christ. It is a high love, an exalting love. Christ's love has lifted us from the gutter to the palace. It's lifted us from hell to heaven. Oh, Jesus, that we would see how high your love is. And finally, he says, your love is deep. That we would understand the depth of it and that it is a sacrificial Love. Paul has already celebrated the self-sacrifice of Christ uh, for our sins on the cross. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We need to grasp that Jesus not only knows the filthy things that we've done. He knows the worst of us. He knows us on our worst days. He also knows the numerous things that you and I don't even have the wherewithal to realize we've done. All the ways in our spot life and the things that we don't do and the things that we do, where we're sinning against him actively every day, Jesus says, I love you. I took all of that and my soul went through trauma on the cross to bear the weight of all sin. Your sin was put on my shoulders and I held it for you. He willingly accepted deep into his soul all the punishments that you and I deserve. Oh, Jesus, help us see how deep your love is. And finally, he says it's a love that surpasses knowledge. Can we just look at the irony of that verse? Paul, (laughs) church, is anyone, y'all, y'all with me? Listen, he, Paul literally says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Good luck. <laughs> There's something about the love of Jesus that we cannot figure out, church, as human beings. In our finite mind, we try to construct it and, and identify it, and, and we can only do that so much, I guarantee you, the fullest extent that we can understand of God's love, it's way more than that. It's an ocean that we are drowning in. That is the kind of love that we have in Jesus. And so it's not calculated by human standards. You know what we're tempted to do each day? You know what you're gonna be tempted to do this week? You're gonna be tempted to add to the love of God based on all the blessings that are in your life and then subtract from the love of God based on all the disappointments, all the disillusionments, all the unmet expectations, all the pain, all the hurt, all the trial. God's love is unchanging. We don't define it. He does, and it is seen at its uttermost at the cross of Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on the cross, Christian. Know the love that Jesus has for you. Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Romans 5, 5, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Did you know that that's the Christian life, that God's love has been poured out into your heart? It's love that makes us strong. It's love that gives us strength. 1 John 4, 19 says that we love because he first loved us. There is a deficit in this room, in this community, in our state, in our country, in our world, of an understanding and a comprehension and a grasping of the height and the width, and the depth, and the length of the love of God in Jesus Christ. We need more understanding of God's love. That's what will bring change. That's what will bring growth. That's what will bring conviction. That's what will bring evangelists among us. That's what will bring renewal and revival right here in our city, in our region. We need to know the love of Christ. It surpasses knowledge. There is always more to know of God's love. Listen, church, this is 101. We've lost sight of it. Today is a day of refreshing for all of us right here. Right now. In the book of Revelation, John says, and he writes to the church in Ephesus, you have forgotten your first love. Right now in your life, are you forgetting your first love? Is it dull to you? Is it numb to you? Is the love of God for you and the love that you give to God in return an experience that you're not having in your life? Every spiritual discipline, every form of obedience, every God-honoring decision we make, every act of service, every sacrifice we make, as Christians, it is rooted and established and it finds all its purpose in our love for God. This is how our heart works. Where the heart goes, the will follows. Do you understand that? Where our heart is fixed, our life will follow. What we want, what we seek, what we worship, what we love, we will pursue. So if our church is not loving Jesus, if we're not worshiping Jesus, if our lives are not surrendered to Jesus, it's because our hearts have not been given over to him. He's not dwelling here, and our love for him is hampered. That's why he says in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I want to close with this. The last few verses, Paul is going to show us all the more with the final outcome of his prayer, how love makes us strong. He says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. And ever, I want you to notice something church that you may be filled with all the fullness of God is not an individual address it's a corporate address this is a letter to the church it's a letter to the body of Christ it's not a letter to an individual that's why it says back in verse 16 that you would comprehend together with all the saints it's maybe to say that we cannot experience the love of Christ if we are apart from one another We can't experience the fullness of God's love if we're not in fellowship with one another. We need each other, church. And I want to just close by saying, are our prayers matching God's power? To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. I think right now in City like Bennington, wake up, y'all, I think right now we have a problem in our church. It's the problem that pervades every church. Small, small prayers. It's this belief that we exist here just to kind of head off maybe the landslide of culture. We want to pray God do a new work, bring revival, call people into your kingdom, cause people to be born again, forgive, redeem, restore, bring healing God to our community. He may, he may not. We can pray that prayer. I don't really think God's going to answer it. Can we get down to the depths of what's happening in our hearts and our minds and kind of confess that that might be where we are. God is not just telling us right here to pray and ask him for things that we could ask or think. He's saying, I am a God who is able to do far more abundantly than you even ask or think. So church, would we have a hope that God could actually use us as his vessel to bring living water to our community and to our relationships? And it all begins with our love for him. Oh, God, give us a love for you because that is what is going to make us strong. Where we lack love for God as a church, we will lack power and strength, guaranteed. So pray with me right now. I'm gonna pray this over our church. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, May it be with our children who are here in this room with us throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.